This morning we start a brand new sermon series in the book of Acts, and I think it'll be an enjoyable journey as we look at mission from the perspective of God sending out his people, saying what is left in this mission. Jesus' mission, of course, is done for us in a sense that he has lived for us, died for us, and been resurrected, and now reigns in glory as our Lord and Savior in heaven. However, that doesn't mean the work here on this planet is done as he instructs his disciples at the beginning of the book of Acts. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, June 8th, 2014. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey, what was the sermon about? I have no idea, but there's this balloon thing. Uh, we're going to be talking, we're starting a brand new series in the book of Acts. I am excited about that. We're not going to go through the entire book of Acts. There's 28 chapters, and between the book of Luke and the book of Acts written by Luke, they cover like most of the New Testament as far as sheer volume. And so we're not going to go through the whole thing, but we are going to go through about seven weeks worth in the book of Acts. And the, the main thing is this. We have one book in the book of Acts. We only have one Jesus. And because we have one Jesus, we have one mission across all planes as we talk about Christian churches. And we'll talk about what that means for us today. Uh, whenever you talk about missions, though, there's kind of two people that look at it. One is a historian. Historians kind of look back on mission. And they say, like, what did Jesus do or what was history involved and, we, and there's good things with that. As Christians, we kind of are historians. We look back and we say, okay, Jesus lived for me. Uh, Jesus died for me. Jesus has taken my sins away. He's now, uh, he rose again. He's up in heaven. He's ascended, and he's living and ruling for me. This is all fantastic. However, there's a little bit different view if you talk to a soldier and you say, what, like, what's the mission? Have you ever met a soldier? They don't just look back and say, like, um, yeah, it was really cool. We did this, this, and this. The biggest concern to them is what's left. And so we're, these next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts from this perspective. What is left in God's mission as we kind of live and breathe and live on this planet? Because think about this. God has assembled us here. God has made you born at a particular time in a particular place and put together a group of Christians so that we get to participate in the coolest mission ever. We get to go out and proclaim against the enemy who is trying to harden hearts. We get to proclaim that Christ is risen, Christ is alive, and Christ is now in heaven. He has defeated Satan. We get to be a participants in that, so that's what we're going to be talking about. So we're in the, the book of Acts, and we're going to cover a few things in the book of Acts. You know who wrote it? I kind of told you already. It was a trick. They're like, yeah, I didn't. Tell me about that balloon again. So the, 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 it's written by Luke. So the first few chapters, you can see that Luke is going to now connect. Uh, he writes the book of Luke. And then he writes the book of Acts, and he connects them in the first chapter of Luke, I mean, in, in the book of Acts. Every single verse in these 11 verses mentions Jesus. So he says, in my former book, this is Acts chapter 1, in my former book, Theophilus, does anyone know what Theophilus means? Anyone have that name? Your parents love you. That's good. Um, Theophilus means um, beloved of God, actually. So some people say, like, is this a real person? Or is it just saying, like, to the beloved people of God? Some people suspect that this is the person who funded all Luke's efforts to collect all this knowledge. We'll talk about that in a second. So I wrote to you about Jesus and began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. So he's just going to be a quick summary. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them convincing proofs that he was alive he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. A little bit about Luke. Uh, here's a picture of Luke. Pretty awesome. If I was really dedicated to this series, I would have made the same haircut. I don't know. What do you call that haircut? I think it's like a ton, 
there's a name, tons, tonsure, is that the cut? Some of you are thinking about it. Some of you are hairdressers, and you're like, yeah, I really could go for that. That's like the Terry Bradshaw, but like the, with the finish, though. So it's like the around the world. Well, Luke is, um, you maybe didn't know this, Luke is not an apostle of Jesus. Did you know that? Luke is not one of the 12 disciples. So it doesn't say like Peter, James, and John, and Luke went up on the mountain to see Jesus transfigured. He's not even in the picture at all. So Luke is someone who was a disciple of the disciples, and he's interested. Do you know what his job is? I think you might know that. He's a doctor. So you always hear about like country bumpkins that follow Christ. That's not true. I don't know many doctors that are poor. Maybe there are some, but I think even a poor doctor is doing pretty well in general. So Luke is doing well. He's an intelligent guy, and he gets this, um, this concept through the Holy Spirit. You know, I have to collect this knowledge and start writing this stuff down. So he travels all around. He talks to Jesus' family. He talks to the other disciples. He gets eyewitness accounts. He goes to where Paul preached. He goes where Peter preaches. And then we even run to him a little bit later because he is good friends with Paul. So when you read the book of Acts later, sometimes Paul says, and we, because, and we went here and we went there. He, we know he's talking about Paul for one. So either Paul is one of the crazy people that refer to themselves in the first person plural, have you ever met someone like that? They refer to themselves like the majestic we. Or there's somebody with him. Who do you think's with him? Luke. Which would come in handy because if you ever read the book of Acts, Paul is like shipwrecked, he's beaten, he's stoned, he's left for dead. It would be pretty nice to have a doctor who's with you all the time. I might get a friend like Luke just to hang out with. So Luke is this. And then you, he's, we even have a, a section of scripture outside of the Bible that talks about Luke. This is about 100 years after he lived. They found this. And said, indeed, Luke was, I've practiced saying this word, and I don't, Antiochian, Antiochian, so it's easier just to say, and indeed, Luke was from Antioch, Syria, a doctor by profession, a disciple of the apostles. Later, however, he followed Paul until his martyrdom, serving the Lord blamelessly, faithfully, faithful, godly man. He never had a wife, he never fathered children, which is good. I mean, this would be really a bad situation if that was different. He died at the age of 84, and how cool would this be to have, like, on your gravestone? Died full of the Holy Spirit. And for us as Lutherans, the Holy Spirit is like the forgotten member of the Trinity. If you're new to Christianity, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talk about the Father all the time, creation and all these other things. We talk about Jesus all the time. How often do you hear about the Holy Spirit in a sermon? Pentecost. But for the next weeks, we're going to talk about the, um, what kind of influence the Holy Spirit have and what does this mean. We're going to learn a lot about it in this connection. And if you read through the book of Acts, and if you read through the book of Luke, you find that he is talking all the time about the Holy Spirit. So why do we know all this stuff? Because Luke actually wrote it down. Christianity, I mean, just as a side note, Christianity is not like a collection of philosophical beliefs. That's like Buddhism. Christianity isn't like a holy place that we all have to go to to try and complete our life. We go to this special holy place, we make contact, we're like, okay, good to go. Christianity is about a real person who lived and breathed. It's about a real person that died. So if Jesus never rose, where would Christianity be? Dead. But Jesus did rise. And so now we have a God who is resurrected, who is in heaven, living and ruling, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who looks after you. And how do we know this stuff? Because of guys like Luke, who wrote by volume, most of the New Testament. So we jump up a little bit farther, and uh, Christianity then, 
as, as you're going to see it from Luke's perspective, without Christ, what do we have? We have eanity. Does that make any sense? I didn't know if this would work or not. So, no, it does not make any sense. And the same thing is true. As soon as you take Christ out, as soon as you take out like a real person, we don't have anything. And so that's the reason why we, um, how many of you grew up in like Pentecostal churches? You can raise your hand. You've been waiting to do this for months. And yeah, you're like, they never raise their hands here. I'm allowing you to, you can do both hands. I can't. I can't kind of do this. I don't know. The, um, if you grow up in a Pentecostal church, they, you get to the book of Acts, and it's like their favorite book ever. And they're, they're like, oh, this is the great, because now the Holy Spirit is going to come. And as we probably do a disservice to some degree as Lutherans. However, he says, remember my former book. You have no excitement. You have no desire. There is no message unless you have Christ, and that's what he's going to talk about in the book of Luke. So it continues in the book of Acts. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. For the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're saying, like, is now um, politically, is everything going to be perfect? And Jesus says, like, it's none of your business. And then he says, but you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So he says, just hold on a second, because you need the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to just take, like, a little sidetrack to talk about how close is this relationship between Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So let's just walk through the book of Luke. Um, Jesus is born, it says, and the angel appears to Mary and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will give birth to a son. So Jesus comes into this world. We've got the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is now going to become a human being, and how does that happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He gets ready to go be baptized. So he follows his mom and dad. He's like 30 uh, years old. He's getting ready to be baptized. And uh, the Holy Spirit comes. It says, comes upon him. So remember this. The, the Father is saying from, the, um, from heaven, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then the Spirit comes down in the form of the dove and rests on him. So Jesus has now come into the world by the Holy Spirit. He gets ready to be tempted in the desert. You know the exact opening sentence. And Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. He goes to preach, and it says he is full of the Spirit. He goes to heal people and, and wrestle with the demonic, and it says by the power of the Holy Spirit. So now he comes into the world by the Spirit. He is, he is led by the Spirit. He's filled by the Spirit. All these things are happening by the Holy Spirit. Um, we, and then, now just imagine, like way towards the end of his ministry, in the book of Isaiah, which is written 700 years before Jesus, so 700 years they've been talking about this anointed one who is to come. Everyone's really excited about it. They, they do not have the New Testament book. So imagine the last book. This is not that hard to imagine because the last book that we've had is 2,400 years ago. But for them, it's 400 years. They've had no new Bible books. They're just waiting. You know, they're hanging out. They're waiting for it. Jesus goes to his home congregation. So I'm just imagining this if I showed up at my home congregation. They're like, oh, there's the guy, Carpenter's son. He shows up, he opens it up, and do you know what he reads? Isaiah 61. So he sits down with his home congregation in Nazareth, and everyone's like, okay, okay, here's the big shot. Everyone's been talking about, he's been doing healings and things like that. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. That's another word um, for Christ that's been, uh, Messiah both mean anointed. He's been anointed by the Holy Spirit to proclaim good news to the poor, he sent me to bind up brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives. Jesus sits down, 
and says, essentially, I am the promised Messiah from all the world. This is either the most arrogant statement ever made by a human being, or it's true. And so Jesus is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives and follows his mom and dad by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's filled by the Spirit. He heals by the Spirit. He proclaims by the Spirit. He suffers by the power of the Holy Spirit. Does the Holy Spirit take suffering away? I'd ask you that. I just talked to someone who's suffering. They're in, they're in a bad spot. Does the Holy Spirit take that away? You, you, know, you get like in a GPS and you're driving on the highway and it says like traffic ahead. What does your GPS do? Mine is from the devil, so it takes me on Colorado Boulevard. So I don't know how that happened. All the time, I'm like, no, I refuse. I refuse. I will not be tempted. Because every time I'm like, oh, it says it's quicker, and then it's not quicker. So never listen to a GPS from the devil. But if your GPS is from the Holy Spirit, and it's good, does the Holy Spirit take you around all the suffering in your life? Did Jesus avoid suffering? You can't find another human being more filled by the Holy Spirit. Did Jesus avoid suffering in his life? Or was it the Holy Spirit who gave him the power to get through it? And so we see again and again, so why does all of this stuff happen with filled and lived and all this Holy Spirit talk so that the God could give the Holy Spirit to you? So this is what he says. But you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. All these places. And so he says this, and his disciples, and he says this, and then suddenly, right before their eyes, he's taken up into this cloud. Can you imagine how wild this would be? Has anyone ridden in a hot air balloon? I have not. So I, the Groupons are there, and I always think about it, and uh, I haven't done it. So I, we've witnessed stuff like this, right? How many of you have taken your kids to like Red Robin? Red Robin alone is. Uh, how many balloons do you think from Red Robin have gone into the atmosphere? I think 99%, right? Because a kid at first, they think this is the most precious jewel I've ever had in my life, and they wrap it around 50 times so it starts to suffocate their wrist, you know, the whole deal. They get in the car, and then suddenly they lose one, though, right? Like it sneaks out the door, and they throw like a hissy fit, and they have a nervous breakdown. But then they look, and they go like, oh, that's kind of cool. So then the next time you go to Red Robin, what happens? Yeah, your kids are like, hey, can I get a balloon? So they get this balloon, and then, like, they're outside, and they're just walking, and some reason it's not tied around the wrist, and then you look the other way, and the kids go, and they just watch it. You know, it's like going up in the air, and they're like, oh, Dad, when does that come down? I said, I don't know. We don't know when this comes down. What would it have been like for that first time with the apostles? They're all on top of the mountain, and Jesus suddenly goes up in the air. It's like the first time a kid has let go of a balloon. They've never even seen this before. What do you think the reaction is? Jesus just go, and they're like, I don't, do we just wait here? What happens? So they do wait there, and they're hanging out, trying to figure out, like, what's next, and then finally God says, oh, send the angels. The angels show up, dressed in white, stood beside them and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? And they say, well, probably because our Savior just went into the sky. I mean, I don't think that's that big of a stretch, but it says the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have sent, uh, you've seen him go into heaven. How long would you have waited on top of the mountain waiting for Jesus to come back? This isn't a balloon here. This is the Savior. And he says, hey, he's going to come back the same way. So you're like, okay, I'm right here. Triangulate. Okay, right here. I'm going to hang out there till what? Dark? Maybe sleep there? You're like, because I'm not going to miss this. 
You know, I want to be part of it. This is going to be in the Bible, and people are going to know this forever. This is going to be awesome. Instead, they go down from the mountain, and what did Jesus make promises in this whole section? He says two things. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, so just wait. He's coming. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and why did he send the Holy Spirit? We'll back it up. But you will see the power of the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses. There isn't like a thousand missions that Christ has come. He has not come to set up all kinds of organizations. Jesus has not come to make you a better person. He hasn't come to make you to like reap your best potential and be the best neighbor you can be and be the best parent you can be. He has not come for like self-help and to be a better you. Jesus has come with one mission. And what's that one mission? He wants you to be witnesses and he wants the world to know regionally and and locally and regionally, just like your neighbors. And he wants to know the region, and that's what we work hard to do, and he wants the world to know that the Satan has been convicted and that we can live with him through forgiveness. And how do you do that? On your own, it's like that balloon that goes nowhere. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can have those conversations. In the power of the Holy Spirit, you can make this talk. In the power of the Holy Spirit, you can raise your kids. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can say, I want to change lives, not, not me. Let the Holy Spirit do it through Christ. Amen.